We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Welcome to a special True Faith Weekly Podcast edition, joined by um, True Faith editor Mick Martin, um, live from Gateshead, and we're very fortunate to be joined by Tony Higgins, live from Spain, to talk to us today about his book, um, Homage to Mercia, which is out now uh, on the Amazon store, and which I know me and, me and Mick have read, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, the way that this show is going to work is Mick is going to have a quick chat to Tony about Tony's life. In history as a Newcastle United fan and also the fantastic work Tony's done over the years which I've certainly enjoyed in true faith and then we'll have a little bit chat about Tony's book and, and the process behind writing it and some of the stories he tells in it so Michael I'll, I'll let you take things away. Hi Tony, um, no secret you're a, a kind of a veteran Newcastle supporter, you just wanted to tell us about your early life following, well, uh, following the tune? Yeah, to, to be honest, um, I never really started to follow football until I was a bit a bit older, really, when I got in my mid-teenage years, especially in Castle. In fact, you know, I'm not I'm not scared to admit that when I when I was younger, being from Jarrow, which is quite a, a mixed area between Newcastle and Southern fans, although it's predominantly a Newcastle area, um, I even went with a few Southern games as a kid, you know. So, but my real interest in football really kicked in when I was sort of mid-teens when I started going to games with a lot of my mates from the Jarrow and Eben area who really, you know, that's always been the way for me. It was always the people that I went to football with, you know, it wasn't, although I loved football and I loved the players and things like that, it was always a crack, you know, it was always the lads and having a laugh and a drink and, and things like that. And um, I suppose... You know, my old man, he wasn't really that interested in football, you know. I think I, I think I wrote that in the book. I mean, my dad's only real interest in football was doing the football pools and trying to win a way out of shipyard drudgery, really. You know, that was that was his interest in football. So I never really got any big steers as a kid, you know, to say you should go there, you should go here. So, I mean, that's, that's basically how my football following started, to be honest. So, so what era was it that you kind of got in? You know, got the the black and white itch, Tony. What, what was it? What was the team like when you started supporting them? I suppose it was uh, around when Keegan started playing. You know, around eighty two, eighty three, and then. But probably more the more away games that I went to and everything was probably I'd say from a period from about eighty five through to about nineteen ninety when I was sort of mid-teens, late-teens, early-twenties, you know, that was that was really my era, if you like, you know, so, yeah, so, and 
I don't know, from mid-80s through to the mid-90s, because I got married in 92, and that put the that put the spoke in everything. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I mean, I still, I mean, I was still going to lots of away games and that through the, through the mid-90s, right up until, right up until I came to Spain, really. So, so yeah, obviously you you kind of you kind of uh, be a regular at St James's um, when you when you live in Spain. So you you moved from from uh, from Tyneside to Spain. When 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 exactly was that, Tony? Well, I was actually Alex would be interested in this. I was actually living in Cranbourne when I moved to Spain. I lived in Cranbourne for about ten years, I think it was. Um, I got involved. Even in the Cranon area, doing a bit of coaching and stuff, you know, with, with kids and that. Um, and then, I don't know, my wife's family moved to Spain, or a lot of my wife's family moved to Spain, and we just thought, well, why don't we give it a go, you know? And um, and that's that's what happened, really. So I sort of moved away from the Jarrow area when I think I was about 20, you know, and then I, then I lived in Kenton for a while. Um, and then eventually we ended up in, in Cranlington. And, and then you've gone. And then you've gone to Spain. It's fair to say that um, you know you brought some really outstanding pieces for uh, True Faith down the years, both in the hard copy magazine, online as blogs, and and, and also through the the new format in in digital. Um, mm-hmm. But but what what's what's really interesting is is that you've never ever really been dazzled by Real Madrid and Barcelona and you've always embraced a different side of Spanish football. Well, well, first off, it's nice of you to say all that. Um, I mean, to be honest, uh, to repay the compliment, True Faith has actually given me the vehicle to spout off about things that interest me and it's, it's quite humbling really to think that other people are actually interested in the kind of thing that they're actually right about you know so thanks for that first off and um, answer your question though and um, to be honest I, I was a bit dazzled at first by Barcelona if I'm honest with you um, I was dazzled by their history I was dazzled by their fight against fascism really, the fight against Franco and, and, and all that type of thing and, and you know it was a club that I, I really admired from a from a distance really because it's a long way from where I live but over the years I started reading more and more about Barcelona and, and the modern Barcelona they, they just totally turned me off you know with the, with the relationship with Qatar and, 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 and just a lot of things about Barcelona I just don't like. Real Madrid I've, I've never liked um, there is a, you know, there's a thing in Spain where they say they were Franco's team. I'm not quite sure about that. I'm not quite sure if that's true or not, but that's what people say. But I've never, I've, I've never been a, a lover of, of Real Madrid. Um, really, then what happened was I just started watching local football, you know, and, and it's a really good standard to be fair, um, because the Spanish, the you know the from kids. You know the 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 way they're coached and everything is is completely different um, to how we do things over there. And um, that interested me. And then as things happened in Newcastle United, the thing with the, with Mike Ashley and and you know um, and him coming to the club and my disillusionment really with with. With football uh, at, at top level, and then and then somehow I think well it was through writing for True Faith I, I started digging deeper and um, I stumbled upon this club Cap Ciudad de Murcia and um, that was it you know I thought my God I've got a club here on the doorstep that are fighting for every principle in football that I hold dear. And I've only got to travel 35 minutes, and I'm stood amongst people who I have a lot in common with, even though they're from a different country, different background, and everything. Well, we have a lot of things in common, you know. And, and basically, that's 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 how it happened. But I, I don't suppose I would have even come across the club, you know, if I hadn't been doing the stuff for True Faith, because I was always digging for. A 
alternative things, if you like, you know, the, the alternative side of, of football. Does that sort of answer the question? It does. I mean, what, what I've always said, I think you and I have, have become very good friends over the years, because mainly because we're, 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 we might have a similar worldview, we, we think the same about certain things, etc. But um, one of the things I think you've done very being something that just happens naturally. A bit of both, Michael, to be honest. Um, I it, it just sort of developed, you know, because they were all the things that sort of touched the things that I, I, I sort of, that makes me tick, if you like, you know. And, and what happened was they all just came together. And when I ran the idea, talking about the book, if you like, or, or even the, the thing that I do for, for True Faith, um, when I when I when I ran it by a few people, what I was trying to do with the book, a lot of people said to me, "I think you're I think you're trying to cover too many things, too many subjects in, in one area, you know." And, and and I thought, well, no, I, I don't think I am. I, they're they're the things that, that that interest me. They're the things that make me tip. They're the things that I know that other people like me. Uh, over back across in, in, in Newcastle or, or in other parts of the UK and Ireland and all different places. I know that people are interested in all those things and I, and I was sure that I could pull off something that encapsulated all that, you know. So that was, that was me, that was, with the book, that was always my intention. I'm not so sure that was always the intention with the, with the true fear thing. I think that just developed and then that developed onto to write in the book, you know, I think that's what happened. And, and Tony, I think it's, it's fair to say you're a lad that can make friends very easily, and you've 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 done that with a number of um, a number of different kind of people that back back here and elsewhere that that um, that we kind of admire, you know. So you've you've got into the um, you seem to you become friendly with a lot of people at FC United of Manchester. Do you want to talk a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of people, um, FC United and Manchester, um, probably the two two main people is a, is a lad called um, David Bergen, who um, he's a, if he listens to this and he'll agree with this, he's a bit of a character, you know, without a doubt. He's, a, he's an FC United fan um, and a Rayo Bayekano fan, you know, so he comes across to Spain now and again and we're bumping into each other and... Um, Let's just say he's a, a typical football lad, you know, a typical Manchester football lad. Um, he's a good lad. He, he he does a lot of work for the FC United of Manchester program. Um, he was editing it for a while. I don't know if he's still doing that. And there's another guy called Lance who um, comes across the booth here um, quite often, and you know he's he's quite instrumental in what goes on at FC United of Manchester. Um, I've shared a platform with the, the chairman, you know, Andy Andy Walsh of FC United. I've shared a, uh, I sat on a platform about fan ownership with him in Liverpool a couple of years ago. So I know, I know. I mean, I'm not name dropping myself, so I've name dropped yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I've, 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 through, I don't know, writing, I suppose, or being interested in this stuff, I've bumped into uh, quite a few people and I've made quite a few friends you know through through doing that so yeah um, and you've still got, uh, you've got a load of mates back on time so you do all black and white as obviously what, yeah, what's, yeah. Your, what's your take on what what your castle is these days um so how, how long how long have we got Alex? <laughs> <laughs> um I'm, i have to say i'm totally and utterly disillusioned with almost everything to do when you're castinated. Um, the way the clubs run, the man who owns the club, um, the way that they do things, the sponsors that they have, I won't mention names, but you know, you know I'm talking about the sponsors on the shirts, even down to the strips, you know, the strips aren't even proper Newcastle strips, you know. Um, and to be honest, without being disrespectful to to, to people, but I have to say, you've asked the question, even some of the people who go to Newcastle United now, you know, I have no, I just have nothing in common with some of the people who, who go there, you know, and I know as you get older, you get a bit nostalgic, and 
maybe you see things through rose-tinted glasses and you think that things were better than they maybe were. You know, I know all that, but when I went to football, or when I was following your castle as a, as a, as a younger person, we had something, you know, something we were, you know, I know people from Durham, from Northumberland, from both sides of the river, from North Shields, from, do you know what I mean? We had something, we'd meet, we'd have a drink, we'd have a laugh. It was all, I don't know, and now you go there and it's, it's, I don't know, it's just, for me, it's just lost everything that it, that it ever meant, really, and, and that's very sad. Um, Why? Why do you think that's happened, Tony? Well, <laughs> I think part, part of it, and not all of it, is down to Mike, Mike Ashley, obviously. I think part of it is just modern life. That's the way that people do things nowadays. Um, you know, there's a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's like a, an era between people now and, 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 and people from when we were like kids, you know, so it's, it's totally changed. Um, just the way that people's attitudes and things. The other thing, you know, without a doubt, is, is, is the man who runs the club is just, in my opinion, just totally, you know, the ripped the heart out of the thing. And I don't know, it, it's just, it's hard to explain. It just doesn't feel the same anymore, you know? And, 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 the, and the reason is, is part of how football is generally, but more so, I think, with our particular football club, um, it's to do with the people who are running it as simple as that yeah and, but I, I think part of your solace is your is your um, is your adoption of, uh, of, of you know the undergrowth of Spanish football and and, and obviously you know that's, that's clear in the um, in the love that you have for for that team now and that's what underpinned the book so I think probably time to move on to the book now and I know Alex has got has, has recently read the book which is it's obviously about Aaron uh, I know Alex wants to talk to you about the book so yes to and I'll pass you on to Alex now eh? yeah no problem Michael thank you yeah thanks Michael and uh, also really interesting stuff from there Tony about the modern state of Newcastle United like you said how, how long have we got but there's a few things which you've said that I've just taken some notes on which, which I found really interesting when you were talking about yeah your history and life back on Tyneside and I think whether intentionally or not it really comes across in the book because you said there that and this is a nice introduction I think um, you said there that uh, going to the football as a younger man was always about the people and not the players or the signings and I think that really comes across in the book there's not an anecdote you tell in, in the book or a, a story you explain that, that, that isn't related to, to people that you've met people that you know who are who are like you know who are affected by these teams that you report on and these stories that you tell which is one of the most fascinating things about the book so I think you could well personally and I'm no expert I think um, you could call the book as much about the people than about the football um, and is, is that something you really tried to, to, to intentionally do or was that just part and parcel of, of football in Spain no that, 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 that's something that was intentional because as I said to Michael, and as you've you know you've you sort of quoted there, um, yeah, we all like good players and we all like to watch good football and, and, and things like that. But the people that matter in a, in a football club are just that it's the people, you know. And the further down the pyramids that you get in in, in football, and, and you know I'm no expert on non-league football, but the further down the pyramids that you get, and the further you know, down in the grassroots, if you like, that you get, you realise that even more. You know, you realise that, that that it's about the people. You know, these clubs wouldn't survive if it wasn't for the dedication and the love that these people have for 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 the club first off, and then secondly, for for the game of football. You know, so these these clubs wouldn't even exist. And these are the unsung heroes of of football, if you like. You know, and, and these are the stories of people really that need. That he'd be told, you know that you know we all see Ronaldo, Messi, uh, you know these mega millionaire players and, and all that. And that's all well and good, you know. The, the, the lads have got talents and they're earning money and fair play. Then I've got no, you know, thing against that. I suppose on, on one hand, but what, what I was trying to do with the book is just to try and tell the stories of of, of, of people who, you know, you, you wouldn't read about every day. You know, that's. So, so to answer your question, yeah, 
to talk about people because people are the thing that, in my opinion, is, is, is what makes football. I think that's very interesting because uh, my experience of the book, obviously, Michael got in touch. I was I had me my eye on it anyway because obviously I've read you in, in True Faith and it was probably going to be on the list at some point, but because we're doing this podcast, Michael give me a shout. I've read it pretty comprehensively in, in you know in the space of what a weekend. I'm not. It, it's easy to say that. I'm not just saying this, but it's it's a really enjoyable book for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's an it's an education. Was an education for me. Because understanding the Spanish football system, like you say, it's not the easiest, most straightforward set of, uh, you know, no. football structure, <laughs> is it, in Europe? I mean, why don't you there's stop... Not, there's nothing straightforward, yeah, <laughs> man, not just football, but anyway, yeah. yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Why, don't you, why don't you start off by telling, telling those listeners a little bit about the club, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to crucify its name. Uh, you just pronounced it very well. Why don't you tell us a little bit how they were formed? Because it's not, it's not an old club, and I found it really fascinating the way that throughout the book, every time or nearly every time you had a story to tell, particularly through the lower leagues, it was one club had gone to the wall, and then another one had been restarted by fans. So why don't you tell us the um, the story of, I'll say, CAP? <laughs> okay, well, um, well, basically they're, they're not a, they're, they're not a new, they're not an old club. They're not like Newcastle United, who you know I've, I've just read a book this past week. Um, all the smiling faces by Paul Brown, you know, which is a fantastic book about the the early form of years in Newcastle United. Um, they're not a club like that, you know. They they don't go back to the to the Victorian era or the Edwardian era. They've got none of that type of history. They actually are a very modern club, if you like, and you could say they were actually uh, spawned from modern football because they were um, a local businessman created the club back in 1999, so that's not a long time, not a long time ago. But what happened was they, they were sharing a ground with the, the biggest club in the, the region called Real Murcia. And Ciudad de Murcia, it's like Murcia City, it means Murcia City when it's translated. They were like the little brother of Real Murcia. And then Ciudad de Murcia began to get better, and they, they were actually beginning to take over Real Murcia. Now, some of the lads and lasses, I have to say as well, who follow um, Ciudad de Murcia, they cut their teeth, or their footballing teeth, on the on the terraces of Ciudad de Murcia. So when they were like 10 and 11, and it's the, the ground, the old ground where they used to play, is in one of the roughest areas of Murcia. I have to say, Murcia is a nice place, you know, but there are rough areas anywhere else. And it's in one of the rough barrios of, of, of the city, you know. And these lads and, and lasses, they cut their teeth watching this club and it was their team. Anyway, this businessman, he got he, he, he got sick of, of where the club was running, having to compete with Real Muthia and all the rest of it. And, and this, I was going to say, it can only happen in the likes of Spain, but I suppose it happened in England with Wimbledon and Milton Keynes Dons and all that. He actually sold the sold the franchise in the league to a club in Granada called Granada Seventy Four, and just left Muthia. And this was a you know the people who were following the club, these young lads and lasses who you know it was their club. He, he just he just left the place, and they couldn't go to Real Muthia because you know that would be like I suppose. I don't know Liverpool fans going to Everton or something like that. You know they, mm. they just couldn't they just couldn't do it. So they, they began to try and form their own club at a few times without success. To be fair, and then about in 2010 they got themselves back together again and they said, right, they looked at FC United in Manchester and they said, why don't we try and do something at FC United in Manchester? And to be fair, at FC United in Manchester they really helped them. So they're like a sister club to FC United in Manchester, although there's no formal link. There's no formal link there, but from a from from a point of view of giving advice, of giving help, help to set themselves up, that type of thing. A delegation of people went across to Manchester and got the induction, if you like, on how to how to start a final one club, and that's what they did in 2010. And they started right at the bottom of the pyramid. And bear in mind when they left Luthier they were in the second division like what you would call the championship in England 
So, you know, they were going right at the bottom of the pyramid, which is about seven levels. And over the last five years or so, they've had three promotions and they're now at the fourth level, you know, which is which is quite an achievement, especially in an area, I was reading an article today, especially in an area that's that's one of the most poorest regions in the country, you know. So they've, they've generated the money, they've generated the interest, not only here in Spain, but across in England, across an island. And, 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 you know, these people have really put a lot of hard work into to build a football club again and, and, and fair play. And, you know, that's, that's, and that's where we are now. We're, we're in the... Uh, we're in the fourth division, if you like. Yeah, and that's that's fascinating stuff, and that's what, another thing which comes across in the book, and I'll probably keep saying this, but it's it's true that uh, what I, what I loved about the book was that there's so many connections that you, both you personally and the club have managed to make in such a short period of time, and like you say, that link with Manchester uh, FC Manchester United, it's not just um, it's not just exclusive to Spain. The um, Murcia fans that you hang out with, obviously. Um, you know they've got links all over the place, especially I think it is. You talked about yeah. is, is that is that really a conscious effort on their part? Um, well, what you have, Alex, and I know Michael will be interested in this. Is you don't really have like in England. They often ask me. They say, "What club does Newcastle have a good relationship?" Yeah, and <laughs> I have to think really hard. You know, I think well, uh, and I, I get stuck. You know, to come with an answer, but these. People, they, they have a relationship with other fans, not necessarily clubs, but other fans of clubs who have similar political views to them. So, for example, at Trinidad de Murcia, they're all very much anti-fascist, and through a network of, of anti-fascist football fans, like in Cadiz, Sevilla, Mosseville, I should say, Rayo Vallecano, uh, various other clubs at lower levels, they have a lot of links, but these links are very political, you know, and it's, it's politics which, which brings them together. Now, on the other hand, they obviously have a very stormy relationship with clubs that have followers who, let's say, are on the right side of the political spectrum. Um, clubs, and I'm not saying the clubs, I'm saying ultras of, of sub-clubs like Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Real Betis, uh, these types of things have groups of fans I'm not saying all their fans are on the right way but they have groups of fans ultras who are well, basically Nazis you know nice. and, and, and that's where and that's where the that's where the divide is in, in Spanish football it isn't between because you're from Murcia and you're from Alicante or you're from Granada and you're from Cadiz it's not really it is a little bit like that but not but not too much. If you're from Cadiz and you're anti-fascist, and you're from Murcia and you're anti-fascist, and you're from Alicante and you're anti-fascist, you're all mates, you know. Yeah. Um, that type of thing. That's 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 how it sort of works. That's how the links are between between the fans. But the, the actual clubs at lower level. I mean, there's about nine clubs now, I think, in Spain that are fan-owned, you know, and they often have meetings together. I'm talking at, 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 well, there's no such thing as boardroom level because they don't have boardrooms. It's a very flat system. But the people who run the club, clubs, basically, the people who, who, who you know, if you want to burn the, the, the board, but they're not really the board, um, they often meet in various places in Spain and discuss best practice, how they can develop fan-owned football in, in Spain and and all this type of thing. So there's like two levels of, of, of fan involvement, if you like. There's the, the, there's the technical things, if you like, how to run a club, and there's the actual, the, the actual politics or the actual terrorist culture, if you want to call it that, 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 that happens, you know? Yeah, and you mentioned the politics there and how that binds the, the clubs across Spain. And, uh, you know, you could probably spend, again, a lot longer talking about Spanish politics and the problems that Spain has. But the book is also a bit of a mini uh, education on Spanish history. So, I learned, you know, I, I, I have to admit, um, I, I knew not, absolutely nothing about the Spanish uh, Civil War or Franco or even beyond that about separatist organisations, I'm sure, that's probably just my ignorance a little bit, but like you say, I didn't know that you know people in Andalusia were separatists. I had no idea that anywhere outside of 
Catalonia really, and I know, and I know there was issues with the Basque Country, and you really kind of paint a re- paint a, a really good picture about how I don't want to use the word, word fractured because it might be a bit strong. I don't know, but certainly there's a lack there's a lack of unity across Spain, which comes across really well in the book through the story of football. Well, I'm sure if an expert on the Spanish Civil War read the book, um, huh? and I know I know a couple of experts on the Spanish Civil War. I'm sure. I'm sure if they read the book, they could probably pop a few holes in uh, my <laughs> argument because I'm not, I, you know, I never set out to be a, an expert on the Spanish Civil War. And I'm only given a, a point of view, really, my yeah. point of view from from things that I've read. So I hope that's an educated point of view, if that's possible for for me. But anyway, um, what, what I, why I'm sort of telling those stories is because the Spanish Civil War is is still totally ingrained. In, in Spanish society, um, even if people don't know it, that might sound a bit, it's quite difficult to explain. The way that Spanish society is set up is it's still very much, you've got the, the left and the right, you know, um, and very little in between. Um, you've got people who support the church and people who hate the church and very little in between. You know, it, it's very polarised, the, the, the way that people think, in my experience anyway, you know. Um, but uh, talking about the Andalusian thing, I mean, it's a very, very small uh, number of people who want independence from the rest of Spain. But mm. it does exist, you know. There is people. I've met them. I've met these people, you know. And at first, I was sort of laughing, you know, and I was having a drink with them. I was <laughs> laughing, and then I sort of looked at them and I thought, they're not laughing. There, these guys are. Seriously, you know, they they really think that Andalusia should be separate, you know, and, and and if you go to Galicia, for example, which is in the far north, it's similar up there, you know, they they would like to be independent as well. Not not all of Galicia, there is a section of people. Um, so it, it, it's quite interesting, you know, that most people they focus in on the Basques and the the Catalans and, and and things like that, but there are people in other parts of Spain who who want independence from from the the, the 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 government, you know, from the from Madrid. Um, and you find these people, these fringes if you like, you find them on the football terraces, you know. Yeah. And like I say, I've I've met them, I've met these lads, you know, I've sat and had a drink with them and I've listened to them talk about what the, you know, their view on the world and, and you know, like I say at first, I was sort of smiling at myself and saying, this is crazy, Andalusia. It's like everything that you think about Spain, bullfighters, wine drinking, white houses, flamenco, gypsies, you know. And they, and they were like saying, no, no, that, you know, Spain is taking that from us. And well, it's, a, it's quite, a, quite an eye-opener, you know, when you sit down and talk, talk to these people, you know. They're, 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 it's interesting, you know. Oh, I found it fascinating, especially, I don't imagine, well, certainly over here, that, that those kind of viewpoints, even if it's a, a minority in, in that area, they certainly don't get a lot of media coverage. But like you say, um, football is the kind of the great uh, theme of the book, and the, the politics and the history is, is a really nice supplement to it. And you certainly, in this season, which you cover throughout the book, managed to get about Spain quite a bit. And I think, it, you know, you, you went up to the Basque region itself, didn't you? Uh would yeah. you would you rate would you rate I, I seem to remember in the book you rated that very highly as a football experience. Oh, that, honestly, if 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 anybody anybody's listening and um, if you've never been to well Bilbao in particular, if you've never been and, and you should never call them Bilbao by the way, I'm talking about the city. If you ever talk a Bilbao fan, never call Bilbao Bilbao. It's an athletic club. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean again. That came about, again, that was through politics because um, someone who was very instrumental in the writing of the book was a guy called Tito Oli, who is the heartbeat, if you like, of Frida de Murcia. And he has links all over Spain, and it's amazing the people he knows. And we were talking one day in the pub, and I said, you know, I really want to go to Bilbao. I didn't get to go there when Newcastle played them in was it 93 or 92, I can't remember exactly, or maybe 94, but in the early 90s, I said, I, said, I didn't get to go there, and I, I, really want, I really want to go there, you know. And he says, well, I've got a mail up there. And anyway, he arranged for us to, me, me and my two sons went up there, and he arranged 
Um, for us, that tickets, we didn't have to pay anything. Um, the people were just, oh, the people were just, well, they were like us, you know, they were just like Jordies, you know, it was, a, it was incredible. And um, when they knew that we were from Newcastle, honestly, God, they couldn't, they couldn't do enough for us. I, I, you know, I had to force myself to buy drinks for people, you know, it was, it was just incredible <laughs> because... That was something, man. Now I've seen that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. That, that's... <laughs> Who asked you anyway? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but no, it was good. It was it was really good and the people were great. It was especially people around my age who could remember when Newcastle were there, you know. And um, just the experience itself, Bilbao is a city, uh, the, the just whole football experience, it's, it's a one... City town on one, sorry, one team or one club, city, you know, like Newcastle. Everywhere you go, there's just memorabilia, athletic, and that for me, living in the south of Spain was quite strange because I'm used to everybody just being a Barca or a Real Madrid fan, and going going up there, everybody was was athletic, and and I just got the feeling that wow, this is a a real footballing city, you know, um, and I could say it's similar for Cardiff, you know, Cardiff is a very similar, although a much smaller scale, um, that's a similar city, way down in the south, you know, and it's, you know, you go to Cardiff and you just feel football everywhere you go, Cardiff shirts, Cardiff memorabilia, you know, very, very similar, both completely different sides of the country but very very similar feel you know you just get that football feel you know definitely and I have a bit of an anecdote about that which kind of feeds into your points in another way because in the book you also say that nearly all football fans or many of them even if they have a, a club that they follow like Cuddy there um, they still have a preference for one of the big two and I actually went to um, Cuddy in 2010 for a weekend yeah. at a friend Michael Crean who's a regular podcast contributor and writes a blog on the True Faith site he's spent a year abroad in Cardiff for university so I went across in December and I remember being in a, a, a restaurant late on Saturday night probably up 10 o'clock or one of the mental kickoff times they have in Spain um, and Barcelona were playing Deportivo La Coruña and Deportivo scored and the place went nuts and I was thinking, yeah. what on earth is going on here? All these Deportivo fans come across to Cadiz and Mike just went, oh, no, 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 they just hate Barcelona and the Real yeah. Madrid fans. And I went, I thought you said, I said to Mike, I thought you said this place is football mad for Cadiz. And he went, oh, no, no, it is. That just everyone has everyone has an opinion. It's not like us if we watch Arsenal play Chelsea or Man U play, play City. I just want someone to get beat. I'm not bothered who. Um, uh-huh. But like you said, like everyone in Spain has a, a view either... Like, like you said, actually supports them and follows them, and if they don't, it's their second team. Well, probably in a say Cardiff, yeah, you, 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 well, you've seen that, so you know, I, I can't dispute that. But if you go up to Bilbao, for example, um, if Real Madrid were playing Barcelona, then everyone, or almost everyone, in Bilbao would be shouting for Barcelona, not because they have a particular love. Of Barcelona or they're their second club or anything like that is because they absolutely hate Real Madrid. Yeah. Um, but if you go to Bilbao, the well, the fast, but it's like Newcastle. You know, you're you're going to find a Man United fan or maybe even a Chelsea fan nowadays in, in mm. on Tyneside or in Newcastle. But if you go if you go to Bilbao, everyone or a few people are athletic and they won't have a certain club or if they have a certain club it may be an English club or a lot of them tend to like Celtic for some reason you know they have this link with Celtic um, that's that's what you'd find in Bilbao it's, it's, a, it's a different I mean the Basques they are very different you know um, and, 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 and really really I suppose the word is nationalistic, you know, they're very, they just feel Bilbao, you know, the past country and that's, you know, and it comes over and you can't help but feel it when you're there, you know, it's very similar in Newcastle, you know, you have the river, you have the shipbuilding, you have the heavy industry that was there in the past, you have an influx of people that have came from all over Spain, although, although Bilbao, you know, they say, oh, we're the Basques, 
But you find that people from the south of Spain and different places moved to Bilbao for work in a past very similar to Newcastle where the Irish came and the Scottish came and, 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 and to work in the shipyards and the, and the steelworks and, and it's exactly the same in Bilbao. I've, I've, I've never been in a place where I could look at and say, maybe not to look at, but the feeling and the, the, the way that people are. I've never come across a place where I could say, yeah, this is a, a home from home. This is a, this could be Tyneside, you know, this could be, because it has all, the, all of those similar attributes, if you like, all of those similar ways, if you like, you know, it's very, very similar. Very English sort of um, attitude as well, you know, towards football, um, to the way that football is played. Um, and, and obviously they've had the people in the past, like um, Fred Pentland and people like that, who were very famous managers of the club who were English through and through, you know, and the guy with the bowler hat and, and that, he's very... Uh, famous for that, they used to stand on his. They get the players to stand on his bowler hat after they won a match and mm. all these silly other things. But you know, it's just a football city, you know. From, you, from what? Yeah, as you say, there's there's, um, there's quite a few links in the book. Um, Back to Tyneside, like you're saying, and I know there's one story you tell in particular which directly links Newcastle to a small part of Spain. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a curious little story, and again, you know, it's something that I would never have come across. I'm, you know, I don't want to be blown anything Michael's way, like, but I suppose I have to. Um, it's something that um, I probably would never have come across if I hadn't been doing this blog at first, and then the, the peace and true faith. And um, like I say, I was digging about, you know, looking for looking for good stories, and I came across this story for the true faith when I was. Um, researching if you like and it was about a guy called Manny Pellegrin and he was Spanish sort of but he was a Spanish lad who was born in Newcastle and his family lived in, in Jesmond and his mother was Isabel I think her name was but her second name her surname was Dunn um, and she married a, a Spanish bloke who I believe, I need to do a bit more research on this to be honest, but I believe that he, he exported coal and, and, and imported minerals and things and Manny's son ended up going to, to Lorca which is literally from where I'm sitting now, if I got in the car I'd be there in 35 minutes it's, I don't know, 40 kilometres away or something and um, anyway in Lorca he, he he took with him his love for football and the story is that the very first football team in Lorca they uh, they played black and white it wasn't black and white stripes but it was it was a black and white strip and the story is is that Manny took the colours from his hometown club Newcastle United and, and he, he kicked off football in Lorca and um, it's the sort of Geordie link if you like to um, to Muthia and to football in this area and there's lots of similar stories like that just here in, in Muthia and when the British bought the railways like they did all over Spain and they brought the railways to Muthia and in places like Aguilas and um, Lorca which are very close to each other um, the English and the British I should say British because it was Scottish people as well um, developed developed the game here, you know, with the railways, with mineral exploitation, with, um, you know, different things that they built here that are still here today. And Aguilas itself, which is a beautiful little seaside town, um, there's a great little football museum that has all of this memorabilia in there from years and years ago, like the Victorian and the Edwardian era of English teams playing Spanish teams and and all of that, and, and that's something that I feel that people don't know about. People who are inter interested in this sort of freaky football, if you like, if you want to call it that, um, people who are interested in this thing, they all know about Welva, you know, Welva in Seville, who, who 
had the English influence. They know there was an English influence at Barcelona. They know that Athletic Bilbao had a big influence. That's why they're called Athletic Bilbao. But they don't know about these little clubs, you know, and that, that I'm surrounded by them. Uh, Aguilas, Lorca, uh, even Muthia, Real Muthia, they had a, a link with an English guy. Um, where uh, the, the, um, a place called Thiatha, they had a Scottish bloke who, who had business in Thiatha and, and he developed football there, you know. But the, obviously, the big interesting story for me is when I found it, I was saying, wow, you know, that this bloke who was from Jesmond, where I was born, um, actually started football in, in, in a town, you know. 30 minutes away from where I'm living now, you know, and it was just great. And, and the good thing was, when I wrote a thing for True Faith, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow the club had actually read it. Right. And they invited me and my son to, to go along because, uh, not last season, the season before, I think it was, they, were, they actually reincarnated the shirt, the old shirt. And they actually presented me with a shirt and everything, which was quite a, quite an honour, you know. And then they invited me to this match, I had to go to this match, um, the Manny Pellegrin Trophy or something like that. And they took me to the uh, to Manny Pellegrin's grave and we put flowers on his grave and everything. That photo was taken, it was quite a, quite a thing, you know. And I thought, wow, you know, and then that come from, that come from just writing an article for for true faith and you know you, you don't know who's reading things that you're writing you know, but for, for the club to actually pick up on that and actually contact me I thought it was a wind up at first you know I thought it's a wind up when the lads are winding me up yeah you know but it was true and and, and, and that's what happened and then the story's been in the Chronicle twice and things like that so that was basically the story of, of, of money you know um, and he's still here to this day in the uh, the there, fascinating stuff, Tony. Really fascinating stuff. Um, we're coming to the end of the show now. Uh, one thing I'd I'd like to say about the book was that it's it, it's really it's, it's I wouldn't say feel good, but uh, you know I wouldn't stop uh, far short of that because it's just a nice little reminder. And you make the point several times in the book that football isn't just about uh, Sky and managers getting sacked and. The twenty-four hour news coverage and transfer speculation and players going on strike—it's actually a lot more than that. Not just in Spain, I'm sure, but across across the continent, across the world. But you managed to tell you know tell the story of of a club that you know I certainly would never have heard of or anyone I know wouldn't have heard of, and it's it's actually a really really um, fantastic story through a pretty unremarkable season for them. Um, you know, I think it, like it wasn't a kind of when I heard you were. Writing a story across the season, I was thinking, oh, they must, they're going to win the league, or they're going to go and beat Nottingham like that. And that. But that's actually this is more fitting because it's just, it's just another year, isn't it? It's it's, it's part of the, it's part of people's life, and, and especially the the guys and the men and women who you who you spend a lot of your time with supporting the club. This is their life, and it's um, it's a really great story from that perspective. And, and I go back to what I said at the start. It's more about people than than players or even clubs or, or stadiums or, or anything like that and I'd certainly recommend anyone listening to this to, to, to get the book um, on Amazon and you know it's it's really affordable uh, as an e-book I've really enjoyed reading it and what was is there anything new to finish off uh, Tony and Michael is, is there anything new Tony well, kind of really enjoyed or was, was there a particular moment throughout that season apart from visiting Bill Bow that you thought you know this will this is fantastic this will live me, with me for a long time yeah, yeah. There's, well, what you, I mean, first off, thanks for that. You know, I mean, it's really nice of you to say all that, Alex, and I really appreciate that because all of those nights burning the midnight oil, as I say, what was worth it. If, if people get all of that out of it, then that makes me feel really good. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, the, the unremarkable season that you were talking about. At first, I was like thinking. I hope they go up. I hope they get promotion. Please let let, let them get promotion. Let there be a party at the end. And then as, as I was getting nearer the end of the season, and I was sort of right now saying, oh, I'd be better if they stay down because it's just another year in a in a number of years. It doesn't have to end yeah. in great success. It doesn't have to end with something happening. It's just a, a year in the life of this club. Thankfully, 
the following season they got promoted, you know. So oh, uh, all ends well at, at the end of the day. But um, yeah, basically that's just to say, you know, if if people get what you've just said and people actually get what it is that I'm trying to to, to, to do and trying to say with the book, then then that, then I'm happy with that. You know, that's 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 what I what I want people to to come away and to say the things. What you've said, you know, not to build my ego or nothing like that, just so that they they get like a, a good feel about football again, you know, that they can think, well, yeah, there are clubs out there. It's not all about, like you said, the big sky matches or things like that. There are other things happening in football. So, yeah. Great, and it's, a, it's also a nice little antidote to Newcastle United at the moment. So, so uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's definitely something that I took out of it. Well, I think I think we'll leave it there. We'll we'll, we'll come through the show, and, and like I said, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Tony and, and Michael. Thanks very much. And uh, yeah. this is this is the True Faith Weekly podcast. We're going to have many more specials like this throughout the season. Um, and you know, we've already had numerous uh, fans, people who listen in, get in touch about creating shows. So if there's anything that you guys listen out there want us to talk about, get in touch. It's pretty easy for us to record a show, and we do the radio show every Friday, which you listen to this on now and get in touch if you'd like to, to have a star and roll what we're looking to get as many Newcastle United fans involved in this as we can to get as many viewpoints across as, as possible so it just uh, remains for me to say thanks very much lads for your time and uh, Thank you, Alex. we'll speak Thank to you, you soon cheers Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.